I forced myself to get up, but like, I'll get up at eight and then I'm, and then at my desk at nine and like brainstorming, brainstorming and try and like, try and clear my schedule for the morning. Like make sure I, I don't have to send any emails in the morning or whatever. And then just brainstorm, brainstorm, brainstorm. And then by lunchtime, hopefully you've got an idea. Yeah. If not, then you think, okay, shit. Okay. Well, hopefully tomorrow will be a bit better. And then if tomorrow's not better, then you start panicking. And then, uh, and then, and then it sometimes goes into a spiral of like, uh, feeling a bit crap about yourself. Hello and welcome to another episode of Balancing Acts with me, Steve Whiteley. In this conversation, I chat with the very talented director, Ian Robertson. Hi, this is Steve Whiteley, comedian, actor, filmmaker and writer, all-round ADHD creative. And welcome to my new podcast, Balancing Acts, where I talk to an array of creatives ranging from comedians, actors, directors, all sorts. And we talk about how they find a sense of balance or not between their creative lives and their everyday lives and how that has an impact on their mental health and beyond. So yes, here we are again for another episode. Uh, Before we go any further, I should mention that Balancing Acts is now made in association with The Comedy Crowd, who are a website and community that support independent comedy creators such as myself. I have a Comedy Crowd short, which is a a two-minute video one of my characters on their website. They showcase the best new videos on Comedy Crowd TV, which is comedycrowdtv.com, and across media platforms, so do go and check them out. Uh, so this one was a really interesting conversation. It was great to sit down with Ian and talk about his process really as a director, particularly as he directs different forms of content from music videos to commercials and short films. And um, we talk about his approach uh, and how it varies in terms of, I guess, the work process, particularly because he's directed so many amazing and funny music videos. It was really interesting to hear about how he comes up with the ideas for them and dissecting and kind of going in deep into the whole process of what goes behind directing a music video because it's a lot between working with creatives at ad agencies um, a la Mad Men style and clients and, and how they differ from working on, on music videos where he gets to you know come up with the ideas himself. We also discuss Ian's love for directing short films and, and scripted projects. Um, he explains how Uh, he would come up with ideas during a period where every week he was kind of expected to pitch on a different music video through a production company he was signed to and the pressure he felt from constantly having come up with new ideas. And um, he talks about the processes of how he would try and conjure up, you know, the magic for creating new ideas. He had his own little process that he'd go through. And also we talk about his hobbies outside of directing. Uh, It was really interesting because when I first reached out to Ian um, to come on to the podcast, he said his immediate reaction to me was he had no sense of balance. But I think kind of like a lot of creatives, when he's fully immersed in his projects, that seems to be the case. But when he's coming up for air, it sounds like he's got a fair few hobbies and interests outside of filmmaking. So we also covered that. Um, So yeah, this one's really fascinating conversation with somebody who's who's started at the ground level as a director and, and, you know, went to film school and has worked his way up creating award-winning music videos for the likes of Dizzy Rascal and award-winning short films. So if you're a director or interested in the filmmaking process at all, then this is definitely the episode for you. 
I should also say that when we recorded this, I was very bunged up. Um, I don't think I told Ian that at the time, but it was fine. I was wearing a mask throughout. No, I wasn't wearing a mask throughout, but there was a, a comfortable amount of distance, a comfortable amount of distance between us both for him not to catch my germs. So if I sound a little bit like that, um, then you know why. Okay, over to Ian. Enjoy. Ian Robertson. Is it started? No, I just felt like saying your name. <laughs> uh, how are you? Yeah, good. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. My first ever podcast. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you said to me, oh, I don't know if I should be here because it's sort of like a comedy podcast. I mean, it's not comedy in terms of trying to say funny things. Yeah. But yes, there has been a running theme in terms of like people involved in the comedy world as whether they be writers, performers, etc., have been on here. Yeah. But in my eyes, you are because you're a, you're a comedy writing director. Yeah, yeah, I guess my stuff is always like comedic and some kind of kind of dark com- like kind of dark comedy stuff. But um, I'm not a comedian. No. So you- I, I I'm not going to be funny. Well, that's that's the problem. Yeah, but you don't need to be you don't need to be funny. You don't need, that's 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 the view of it. I mean Yeah, no, no. And that's a good thing because I've listened to a couple of these and you know that that they're I like they're not always like reaching to be like super funny. It's more like being people being like sincere and talking about their lives and stuff. It's nice. Yeah, I mean, you know, my my attempts for comedy are futile. Yeah, yeah, no, they're the, they're the worst bits. They're the worst bits, and I mean, <laughs> and, and these are the bits that are just kept in. You can imagine the amount of stuff I've had to cut out. Yeah, you're poor. The jokes that just have not landed. <laughs> so, I for guess who I bring on that I have met previously I don't know if it's really for the benefit of the listener it's more just I like to sort of like have some kind of order in terms of our connection and we we've known each other now for about six years or so yeah and we worked together on a music video yeah was it uh, that's probably like my that's my favorite music video as well mine too and and it's people's like people who you know follow my music videos it's always their favourite as well it's yeah. my family's favourite that's like I mean I kind of peaked too early I think <laughs> <'Cause it's> like, <laughs> that was my like first proper music video commission um, with like a decent budget and it was like the best filming experience probably the best video I mean I love I love all my other videos as well but like just in terms of like the actual filming experience it's just a dream experience and then like the result was just a dream, and then the track was like a big hit. It was like Huge. number one for 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 two weeks. And the track was it was Duke Dumont oh, yeah. need you one hundred percent. Duke Dumont need you one hundred percent, and yeah, just you know sometimes with film projects like the stars align and it all works out. Yeah, and then and then and it was my first proper yeah big film project, so I thought, well, filmmaking's easy. This it's is like, it. Yeah, it's like you just it's brilliant, and then and then of course after that like oh my god actually there's it's normally pretty brutal and tough but yeah um so that was i think it was a bit of a shock going from that a dream project to like more difficult projects and you're like oh well, actually it's not always like such a dream so up till then you'd made some short films and you'd done stop motion because i saw yeah. the um the delta heavy music video you did yeah so so my, my kind of journey was like i i started like making films with my friend in my back garden and even earlier than that with my brothers like we'd make like remakes of our favorite films we made like a terminator 2 remake oh nice uh, i haven't seen that uh, yeah no it's not it's, vimeo it, no no it's not on my show real sadly but um someone else in the it's a ghost in it. Ghost, oh, okay, yeah. cool. 
I haven't um, interviewed them yet, but uh, future episode. <laughs> um, yeah, so so yeah, made, we made loads of little films in our back garden. Luckily, we had a quite a big back garden, great for you know shooting all sorts. Um, and then and then and then I was like, came to I did media studies and made a bunch of little stuff, like shorts there. Um, and then I was kind of interested in like taking make, making film my career, but I wasn't quite sure yet. And I didn't have a like showreel good enough to go to film school, so I decided to like just do the uni thing. And I went to Glasgow Uni and studied film film studies. Um, and I did a year abroad in Canada there. And like uh, one of the courses I did in Canada was a stop motion um, course, and I learned the basics of stop motion. I realised it's like unbelievably easy. Like it's just so it's yeah it's it's, it's so easy. It's really, because so do. it doesn't. The process seems ridiculously um, complicated. But also, the, the 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 Delta Heavy music video did. Which what was the title of that track? Uh, Get by. Get by. Yeah. How many images was it? That one or was it the previous music video where you used something like four thousand <laughs> yeah. images oh, that gosh. you used? I should I should have looked that up. So yeah, basically after you after uni, I, I made some stop motion films, and one of them was just yeah, Get by, which uh, was. I'd made like a stop motion music video for my cousin, which um, I shot in like a few days, like I think over a weekend, like four days. Um, and then, yeah, and then I I got this Delta Heavy commission and it was just a much bigger project. It was like four minute or three and a half minute track. And I I wanted to shoot at 12, I think, yeah, 12 frames per second. Because... Um, my previous one was eight frames, but the pace of this track was longer. I mean, this is really geeky for stop motion stuff. But um, so we shot 12 frames per second. So that's, yeah, 12 photographs per second um, for four minutes. Um, so I think, oh man, I, I did write down all the stats. I should have looked them up before I come. But it was like, it was it was in the thousands of photographs. It was like, you know. So I how long? I mean, 10,000, 11, I think it was 11,000 wow. photographs I took. Ele- yeah, I think that was wow. 11,000 photographs I took. Obviously, I didn't use them all because... Were these Polaroids you take? It <laughs> <laughs> would have been very expensive, yeah. Uh, so, but it was like, yeah, 11,000 photographs and I think a six-week shoot. And it was basically me in my mum's barn because I moved... I was living in Glasgow, but I moved back home for this because uh, she had some space where I could shoot. And I would, like, animate in the day, like, 12-hour days, like, animating... And then on the weekends, my brother would come along um, and he'd do the hands because basically the idea is uh, revolves around um, it's a dubstep track track and it it kind of involves like classic board games being like equalized to the beat. So they kind of move to the beat and then at the dubstep drop, uh, they will get like munched up and crushed and destroyed yeah. it seems to be a speciality of yours I, I mean think. yeah because when there's a drop things need to get things destroyed need to be completely <laughs> annihilated yeah so my brother would come on the weekend and he'd be the hands for that so he'd be like the butcher's hands um, and then yeah and then I'd and then he'd go in and I'd keep shooting and it was brutal I mean it was like yeah like 15 hour days I mean the biggest day was was the Rubik's Cube sequence so it was like I can't remember how many Rubik's Cubes like I think maybe 45 or something, 45 Rubik's Cubes um, that are become graphic equalizers to the beat. And, and you know, everyone sees that sequence. They're like, oh, yeah, you just took off the stickers, right? You just moved all the stickers around. Yeah. So, so it looked like graphic equalizer. And I was like, nah, mate, they're all, all solved. 
uh, all of them sold properly. It turned because my, my both my brothers um, are like huge Rubik's Cube fanatics. And um, how does they? So how how does that manifest itself? <laughs> they don't they, do like they got loads. They got loads in their bedroom, just sort of hanging everywhere. Yeah, no. They, I mean, okay. They, they they just know how to solve a Rubik's cube. And okay. If you know how to solve a Rubik's cube for me, you're like absolutely like fanatic. You're God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't. I had no idea how to do that. But they were like really into it at the time. Okay. Um, uh, they don't do. Like, they're not like competitors or anything like that. But um, they. It was the Easter break, and they happened to both be at home for that weekend. So I was like, okay, I need you, and I I got them to like solve all these Rubik's cubes. It took. I think we did twelve frames because each frame because we had to solve so many different Rubik's cubes. Each frame took about, I guess, an hour to set. Because they like <laughs> they'd have to solve all these cubes and then we place them in and then take a frame. So I think we did only did twelve frames and looped it. But it's the only looped section in the film. That all the rest are like um, uh, unique frames. Um, but yeah, that was the biggest task. That was like you know twelve fifteen hour days of shooting that Rubik's cube section. It was that nuts. doesn't sound straightforward. It was nuts. It was nuts. It was nuts. I mean, and looking back at it now, I, was like, I can't believe I did that. And I. But yeah, I'm quite but obsessive, so I kind of can't. You know. Clearly, <laughs> but it's also interesting sort of when you look back and um, you think, oh, well, if I hadn't have done that, then you wouldn't have necessarily got the opportunity to do the Duke Dramont music video. Yeah. So all that hard work sort of paid off. Yeah, totally. Well, I I, I, I knew that if if this, um, if if I could nail this music video, this, this Delta Heavy dubstep music video, then... It would be a great launching pad for my career because yeah. the, the their videos are post were posted on um, UKF, which was a huge dubstep channel, and it was like around the time when dubstep was absolutely massive. Like, um, who was that guy? The big guy, um, the big fame. Oh, Skrillex and oh yeah, um, Knife Party and all these big artists. Uh, dubstep was massive, so I thought like, okay, look, if I can nail this video, well, even if I don't nail it, even if it's a crap video, it's gonna get half a million views just because it's posted on a massive YouTube channel. Um, so I was like, if I can nail it, then that's a great launching pad like to um, go viral or just to get a lot of attention. And um, yeah, put it out there and uh, uh, yeah, and Peter went down like a storm and the it got like three million views in like a week and, um, and then it somewhat plateaued. But it's like, I think it's like seven million or so but it was just all over the internet when it launched it was just everywhere like the sun newspaper did a feature on it like um american newspapers there was like a lot of blogs and it's just like absolutely everywhere and of course like all the youtube comments and and then it was like the 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 um it was like the third most watched youtube video that week on the whole of youtube i think or at least in the uk i'm not sure but anyway it was just like it was just everywhere and it was like quite a rush. So I was going to ask you, how does that affect you personally at that point in time? Because I've been, had periods in my career where I've created something and it's gone viral. Yeah. And maybe this is more, uh, maybe this is only sort of my personal experience because I'm a sort of bit of a megalomania. That's right, that's it. I've made it. Yeah. Uh, you kind of like, oh, this is it now. My, you know, my career as a, as a director is launched or you kind of just, oh, you know, just see what happens, take it as it comes. Um. Yeah, it's a really good question. I have been thinking about that a bit because, like, you you can get hooked on that attention, and especially that, online, right? Yeah, if something blows up. Absolutely, and you, you know, 
I think because I'd, I'd done a couple of music videos I posted on Vimeo before that, a couple of little videos, stop motion things, and like the Vimeo community are like really nice, and they're like commenting and being really nice on all the videos, and and so that that was a rush, and then uh, and then Delta Heavy exploded, and that was an even bigger rush, and you know at the time it's just you know it's completely addictive. You're like. Of course, you're like checking all the comments, refreshing, refreshing, refreshing page. Yeah, yeah. And, and and every time you see it posted, and people like would send me like blog posts that they'd seen of it, and uh, and you're like a little celebrity online for like uh, you know a couple of weeks. Um, and I I don't know uh, how it, it it was addictive. I think after that, like you know, when when I've done music videos after that, and they haven't kind of exploded online it is it, it, it's like it's a bit I guess it's a bit disappointing but I, I'm, I can't think I'm old enough and wise enough now to realise that it's not going to be the way every time I think I do think kind of early success can, is a double edged sword you know I think I, I, got, I got like a, a success in a very niche field which is music videos um uh, and then it's like how 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 you deal with that how you kind of move on to the next phase of your career because now I'm trying to like I still do the odd music video but I'm kind of trying to move on to something else but of course everyone sees you as the music video director um, and I you know I really dream of doing long form stuff um, and hence why I went to film school after like doing you know, a few We're years of music videos that. yeah yeah but it was so it's like trying to redefine yourself but you kind of made your name for yourself in a certain field and and people like what you do in that field so it's like tempting to to keep going back there mm. because you're like accepted in that world and people like what you do and you, you're good at that and stuff so it is, it is difficult to like move on to other stuff and the problem with music videos these days is you can't make a living out of them so mm. I think if if I if if I could make a living out of it I'd probably yeah I'd be doing it more and more like music videos and maybe I'd I could maybe I don't know potentially like have like a life in music videos maybe back back in the 90s when you know people were making huge budgets yeah huge budgets people could like actually like live off making music videos you know you could do like you know 20 year career in music videos maybe but now it's just that's just not not a possibility like uh, you, you, you there's not you can't make money from them like, yeah you, i mean you can make a, a small amount but it's it's yeah you can't survive off them so but, i don't know if that answers your question but it's no, a really it interesting question you know um i mean i did get abuse as well did like, you yeah i got abuse i got some for, online abuse for for the delta heavy video yeah for the delta heavy video um uh so the first it's funny like the first correspondence with the public I ever had was an email um, <laughs> for an email from someone uh, the video had just launched and I got this email and it said um, uh, you've you've ripped off Pez uh, who's, a, who's a, a stop motion um, uh, animator who's very famous online uh, he's like you've ripped off Pez shame on you and that was it and I was like oh fuck because that was the first Correspondence I had, I thought, okay, this is this is the start of just a torrent of abuse. Like right. this is the first thing, and then um, and it, I was like, oh god, I don't really uh, uh, shit. What should I do? And then um, yeah, after and then I wrote back this like really considered email, like really <laughs> long email, like explaining my whole 
creative process. And I was like, yeah, I'm aware of Pears and yeah, I love his stuff and um, and definitely he's an influence, but also other pixelation animators just like Norman McLaren and Frank Meyer also influences. Like, um, uh, and you know, I uh, I initially wanted it to, it to be a factory, but it ended up being a butcher shop, which yes, is quite close to something that Pez has done. And, and I sort of talked through the whole creative process and it's like really like, uh, you know, really nicely worded email and sent it to him. And then this guy wrote back and was like, Oh yeah, thanks for the email. I actually really like the video. Uh, um, yeah. But that's like classic troll behaviour. They're <laughs> yeah. just sort of like people that want attention. And you gave him a, probably much more yeah. than he could ever have hoped for. Yeah. Sending a whole long email. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he... I think... I guess it's an e-joke reaction, but because it was email, he like tracked down my email address. Right. And that was, that was what was so chilling. And of course it was... It was the only email I received, negative email I received about it. And then on, on the YouTube comments, like someone did say, um, they said, the comment was, Ian Robertson, I hope you drown. Wow. Because <laughs> um, again, I think he was upset that I'd, I'd um, it was a similar style to Pez. Um, so, and, and he like found my name and named me. I mean, it's like, oh, it hasn't really affected me at all. Because, you know. There was did so it affect much... you at the time? Uh I guess the email did because I was like is this going to be the start of a lot of emails but then I realised actually it was overwhelmingly positive the response and then the the, the drowning comment no I, I think because it's some anonymous person and it was only one comment and it was like you kind of just laughed it off and it's quite a fun yeah. story to tell but um, I have been abused online in other ways but that's a different story nothing to do with nothing films. to do with your projects no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a wild west out there isn't it it really is it really is so you're saying before about, you know, the challenge moving from music videos to, to long form. But I think it's interesting because you've already, you've already like uh, pivoted once or even twice. So some people might have made a couple of stop motion um, music videos and had success on the back of that and just stayed as a, you know, continued as a stop motion, stop motion animator. I know you've done some live action stuff before, but then you jump from that straight to doing live action because when we spoke I remember at the time we spoke and I was like oh yeah I love that Delta Heavy video you did uh, it'd be cool to do something similar to you know to collaborate do something similar and you said you wanted to do live action I was like oh okay yeah. and then and then obviously the the Duke Jamont video happened and you pitched for that that's a massive leap of faith yeah and that was that that like early on in my career I had just some like real lucky points um and just yeah things working out like unbelievably well because I, I was like I, I was I was thinking yeah I, I've made some I've had s success in stop motion but no one's going to take me seriously as a live action director and that was the, the ultimate dream I love working with actors um and uh yeah so Delta Heavy was big online and then I met up with you because you like the video and yeah yeah we talked we talked tonight yeah and and then you sent me this um, this uh, brief for this Duke Dumont track, and I'd never I'd never been sent a brief before really, like for a proper budget. And it was like twenty five k budget in the brief. And I was like twenty five k for this film. That's, that, I mean, the budget at Delta Heavy was like twelve hundred, I think, and I yeah. didn't had to take any fee. Of course, I all went to like paying for the games and stuff. Um, so I was like twenty five k. Like, oh man, I could do like a war epic. Um, I'd not, and I also had no idea of budgets and stuff. Um, but yeah, like I pitched on it and I thought, okay, I'm not, not, I'm never going to get this because I've 
never made a live action music video before. I'd made live action shorts at uni, but very low budget stuff. And then, um, and then I pitched an idea about a guy who swallowed a stereo and the commissioner really liked the idea, Caroline. And I think obviously credit to you for like seeking me out and starting the ball rolling with it. But like, I think Caroline's, uh, who's the commissioner, Caroline's like, um, uh, just faith in me being able to direct a live action music video. I mean that that she she really took a big risk and and that was amazing. I'm like forever grateful to you and her. But like she she managed to convince like Ministry of Sound to like go with this director who'd only made a bunch of live action shorts and one big stop motion music video. And that was you you uh, you know in your career I'm sure you've had it like you come across the odd person who like takes a punt on you mm. and like and at the right time and, and that launches your career and, and pushes you to the next step so like she completely took a big risk because I was a complete unknown I'd never yeah never done a, a, a film with a bigger budget than £1,200 it's and, massively yeah and then it was like and she she was like oh why don't we shoot in LA and I was like because she was she was out there and she, they wanted like a summery vibe and I was like sure yeah why not uh, and then you know the the idea got signed off on like on a Thursday night and then I, I was on the train down the next morning and on the plane on Friday afternoon with with the producer Sarah and then you know we're like casting in the airport and then landed and had location recce's and, and the whole thing from from getting the green light on Thursday night to releasing the video online was two weeks it was absolutely nuts That's crazy turnaround like insane turnaround and but I think it's better for it, like, and I do really like that about music videos and and somewhat the commercial world. But mostly the music video world is really like the pace of the pace of it is really fast, and I really like that pace because you don't have time to overthink things. Because I have a tendency to overthink things, so doing like feature development or shorts development or whatever, there's so much time to overthink it, yeah. and and then you could kill the idea before you've even started. Exactly, and and that's something I'm aware of that I'm capable of doing. So I'm. Uh, and I'm better at avoiding that now but um, with music videos it's like you don't have time to doubt, doubt yourself or overthink it you just like bam 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 you're on a plane shooting and then you're on a and then you're back in editing and yeah that was a dream Duke Dream was just a dream project that was ridiculous yeah and it was interesting because I felt like uh, we were probably at similar stages uh, in terms of like I'd only just set up at the time the production company was off key creatives and to be honest I was very new to it. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And I didn't know whether you knew that I didn't know what the no. fuck I was doing. I was sort of like completely, because that was the biggest music video that I'd sort of worked on through my production company. And I was it was a learning curve for me. And I know it was a learning curve for you. So yeah. we both were kind of like learning together. But the thing is, the thing is with you, Steve, is you're an amazing blagger. And I, I say that- I don't know whether to say that as a compliment. I say that as the biggest compliment. Like I, I, I can't do it really. Like I, I and like I'm- I can't do it. And I think for a producer, I mean, like back then you were, you know, a producer, right? Yeah. Um, and you were making your own stuff. And I guess predominantly were you producing? Yeah. Um, I mean, in terms of bread and butter. Yeah. yeah. And 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 that is an amazing skill to have. Like to be able to like blag, is an amazing skill to have as a producer, and it's crucial for any producer. I think. Like not lying. You never lied or anything like that. No. Because I, mean, no. I, I yeah, that's where you have to draw the line. But you are just being able to have the confidence to be like. Yeah, we we can produce this and not kind of or 
even if you're feeling like, oh, I'm out of my depth, you know, never, ever made that clear. Um, uh, because and, I remember like, cool, there'll be calls where you'd be calling me like panicking. Yeah. Sort of in the last couple of weeks leading up to it, it's like, you know, I don't know what to do, what we should do about this. And I was like, no, no, no. I was like, no, no, it's fine. We can sort this. It's not a problem. And then put down the phone. She was like, oh my God, how are we going to sort this? <laughs> yeah, see, I, I was, I, you know, because I, I was like so new to all this. And I was like, I don't really know. I, I don't really know what I'm doing. This is like a huge project and stuff. And I was I probably, I can't even remember, but like I said, I probably was like freaking out. Um, I do remember like a couple of days before leaving for LA, I think even before, I'm not sure if the idea got signed off, but I think, I think it got signed off and I was like going to go to LA like the next day. <laughs> I do remember like crawling up onto, into a ball uh, on the sofa in my flat, in my flat share and just like lying under the covers and like kind of in a ball in like, Oh my God, what's going to happen? Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. Is this okay? But then, and then of course, when you're on the train and things are happening, you don't have time to don't think like that. It's it. just like relentless, the pace. So, but, but there's always that, that I find anyway, there's always that moment before yeah. you jump into that creative project. So let's say it's like the day before the shoot, Yeah. the day before the shoot, I'm always like, I can't sleep yeah. most of the time. I'm like, what have I forgotten about? Yeah. what's going to go there's, I mean, there's, something's going to go wrong here and inevitably there always is something but it's that leap of faith isn't yeah. it and then when you're actually in it and you're in your flow state well definitely and I find I find I get yeah I do get like a bit anxious before directly before a shoot but um, often actually I often I find at that point everything's in place so you've got your cast you've got your crew you've got your location so the day before the shoot is actually like it's quite, it can be quite calm because like everything's in place and it's too late to do anything else. Um, so I, I, I'm strangely calm at that point. I, I find I'm most um, anxious when just before an idea gets signed off or as it, or it's got signed off and you don't have your crew yet. Cause like, and then you're, you're on your own as, right. a, as a director. Yeah. You're like, you've got to make this, you've got a script or, or an idea or whatever. And you've got to, yeah, you've got to make it. And it's like, huge you know you know you've got a lot, a lot of work in front of you but you're on your own because you don't have your crew yet you maybe have a producer but you don't have anyone else and that is like the scariest because you know you, you feel like you've got to do this alone but as soon as you're like cinematographer comes on board and you're you know production designer and, and then actors and all that and then it all first off you're too busy to worry but also things are falling into place and things you you feel supported and you feel like you got your team around you. Yeah. Um, but it's that, it's that moment like just before when you're like, also you feel like, can, maybe we could, maybe we could just pull the plug. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe, change maybe, the just, date. Yeah, maybe just, maybe we should just not make this and, you know, just have a holiday instead. Yeah. There's a bit of that that's going on, but then of course that's just nerves. And then, and then as soon as you go in, as soon as you get into it, it's like fine and it's great. Yeah. It's exciting. How do you find the different, cause in terms of a director, you direct music videos and now now also commercials and then yeah. obviously your own scripted stuff uh, long you know uh, short films and yeah. obviously you want to get to long form what's the difference in terms of like your mindset between those three areas in terms of like for me if I'm making my own projects there's uh, I don't want to use the word like there's more TLC there because I put, oh you'll put TLC into all projects but I guess the difference is in commercials or in music videos there's someone that you're answerable to Whereas in your own projects, you're answerable only really to yourself. Obviously, you've got a producer, but really, in terms of the creative, it's the final decision lies with you. How does how do, how does sort of working those various facets affect your mindset and your approach? 
Yeah, it's tricky. I, I think I, I feel like music videos and shorts, it's a very similar mindset. Um, commercials, it's slightly different. I think with, with music videos, they're really like their passion projects, yeah. as well as short films, their passion projects. Um, I guess the, the tricky thing with music videos is there is a client involved. Uh, there's an artist, there's an, a label, a commissioner. Um, but but general, but but because it's your idea, because it's your concept, you feel like a lot of ownership over it. You're not just like bringing someone else's idea to to life. So it's your your concept, your script, um, and so yeah, it's really a passion project. And and I've been lucky that I haven't really had any instances where the client has pushed back on things. Um, usually a couple of little things, but nothing big because I pitch like. With music videos, a pitch quite like concept-driven, outlandish comic ideas, and it's like, well, I think everyone gets that this you can't change the idea. Like the, the, this, if you if in the edit you want to like fuck around with the idea, it's just then we haven't got a video. So it's like yeah. because it's so concept-driven, not style-driven, then I think people like buy into the concept and they just want to see it delivered. So I've never really had many problems. Commercials is a different mindset, like. Um, you you're working from someone else's script, um, and often I find like the scripts are just not very good. <laughs> it's funny in in the in the uh, you can they've got an idea you can sort of see where they're going, but like for whatever reason like the script needs a lot of work, and so uh, the ideas are often good, but the scripts like because they go through many different iterations and, and stuff, they like sometimes the ideas get lost. So I find like when I come on board as a director or I'm pitching, like sometimes I have to speak to the creatives and like really help them. It sounds like I'm some kind of God that walks in and fixes problems, but not help them, but like work with them to like yeah, develop find out, the script. Find, yeah, develop the script, find out what, what was the, this is the first thing I normally ask, what, what was the initial idea? Cause sometimes right. that's got lost okay. and then like try and bring it back to that. Um, and really try and get my head around like what they're going for because often it's not clear on the page like they some yeah it's gone through so many drafts that it's not clear what what they're going for so there's a there's a bit of a process for me maybe it's more me trying to understand what they're doing rather than rewriting things but it's like what, what are you trying to do here and then um once i've got my head around that then yeah you are you are a bit more you, you, you can't be as you're not as precious so like you have to there needs to be a spirit of collaboration because you definitely don't have the final say in commercials and if you want to if you want to fight for that then for on every decision then it's like very painful but um in a way like it depends on the creatives as well like i did i have worked with some creatives who wanted to direct and that is the worst because they just want to direct it and i'm like well Mate, if you want to direct it, like you shouldn't have got me on board. Like, sure. just direct it, and I, and a lot of will you actually have those conversations? No, no, not, not internally. No. Will In, that's what, that's my inner monologue. Yeah, um, and it's but I and a lot of agencies are like happy for their creatives to direct. I think I don't really know how agencies work, but it's just like why, why don't you just you should have just directed it and then saved me the pain. <laughs> yeah, but the best one, actually, the best experience I had with commercials was um, I did these IKEA stop motion IKEA spots. Uh, it's like a series of like, like 10, 15 seconds. It's interesting, each. you went full circle back to yeah. stop motion. Yeah, yeah, and I hadn't done stop motion for like five years. Um, 
And the, the, the scripts, like some of them were really cool. Some of them were just impossible to do in stop motion. So, but because they brought me on, yeah, as this sort of stop motion expert, like, and the creatives didn't really know how stop motion works. It meant there was a lot of like freedom for me to explain what is possible in stop motion. And I worked really closely with them to, once they knew what we could achieve, work really closely to rewrite the scripts and, and, um, and brainstorm like new ideas and and that was really rewarding and I like to be fair I, they they came up with all the ideas I was just like the facilitator and I was sort of saying yes that's possible and no that's not possible but it was a really collaborative process and like out of that came some really special little uh, little films and um, and because they yeah they didn't know how stop motion worked I was kind of given the freedom to like just get on with it a little bit. And also on a shoot, it's amazing with stop motion because because you, we only have time to do one take because each take takes four hours or whatever. You 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 set up the shot and you bring the client over and the creatives over and they look at the shot and you, I talk them through this is what's going to happen, and then they sign it off and they're like, okay, sounds good, and then they walk away and then they just have to leave you to shoot for four hours. Like they can't they can't chime in and say, oh, can you change this or change that because it's you know the wheels are in motion and that is perfect because. They're, 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 they are forced to keep at a distance whereas with live action stuff you know they they the client and creators have got like live feed so they're seeing yeah, looking the takes, on the monitor looking on the monitor and of course they're they're constantly like chiming in being like oh can we just change the performance a little bit can mm. you just um uh you know sit back slightly differently and you have to you have to go to the actor and be like oh yeah um, can you just like can you just put your leg like slightly to the left and and sit slightly more upright and and they're like and these weird like notes that that just make or, or, or normally it's like oh, can you just be more natural the 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 the, the, the client just say like, oh, I just want them to be more natural but then it gets all like but then they go into really specific unnatural things like putting your leg slightly to the right so yeah. anyway it gets yeah. very messy and that's when I I find that live action like commercials can be kind of painful in that sense yeah but they pay the bills they pay the bills Perfect. hello sorry to interrupt in the middle of this insightful conversation which i'm enjoying i'm sure just as much as you are but i need to give you guys a little reminder uh, if you like this conversation this episode if you like balancing acts in general then please do subscribe to us rate and review us because it makes the world of difference and the more reviews we get the more rates we get the more people can discover the podcast and we can make it go viral whatever that means okay back to the chat how do you find being a freelancer because it's such an up and down existence do you have moments where you're like oh shit I don't know how I'm going to pay sort of next month rent or I mean I guess you're you're established now so but did you go through a period of that and uh, how do you sort of like move past it how do you sort of stick with your guns and you're like you know you know actually this is the career that I'm going to follow I've made the right decision because also you, you I don't know if you find this but especially when you're starting out you'll have maybe friends or relatives who are who care about you and they maybe think that they're doing the right thing by saying oh are you sure you should be doing this? Maybe you should do something safe or something like that. But obviously those that can sometimes like so uh, doubts in your mind, so seeds of doubts in your mind. How, how have you approached that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's 
on that point, like I think having the early success of the music videos, like having the success of Duke Dumont and Delta Heavy in my sort of fresh out of uni, uh, those were like, had that success and that, that kind of validated my career path for my family. Not that they okay. were like, they, they were never, they were always supportive, completely supportive of me going into film, but it was, it, it was a useful bit of success to be able to show them like, oh, you know, I maybe can have a career and it's not a complete pipe dream, yeah. you know, so that, that, um, was useful in, in that, but, um, uh, in terms of making money out of it, yeah, like my twenties, throughout my twenties were like, yeah, I didn't really have any expendable income. More recently, I've got a, like a bit more, but not like I'm not saving any money for sure. Yeah, um, I am like, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, not rolling in it for sure. And it is like, but because the commercial it's stuff, weird though, because I saw you roll up in a limousine. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know what I'd spend my money on. Uh, Are you money-driven person? No, not at all. Not at all. Not yeah. at all. I just need enough to survive and, and to, to go on holiday occasionally. Right. Um, but because because I've been doing like more commercially stuff, not big commercials at all, um, more just social media stuff. But that has like I can do one of them and then not have to worry about um, uh, making. Well, not have to worry about money for a few months. So if That's I can make a, like two or three of them a year, I can survive. But I'm not. I'm not saving any money. Like, I, yeah, it's, I'm not sure when that's going to happen. <laughs> All right, it will, you know, you'll get there. You'll get. Yeah, I'm sure. Going back to what you were saying about you know um, wanting to move into scripted, <clears throat> what I found again really interesting is that you you got you signed to this big production company. Um, for for anyone listening who's who's not familiar with the way it works, like in the commercial and the music video world, there's lots of different production companies, and they sign directors to their roster and then try and pitch them out to work. I guess kind of that's how our relationship started. Um, so you were doing that, and then you directed like a dizzy rascal music video post doing the Duke Dumont music yeah. video, and then you did um, what was the one that you got for the Vimeo staff pick, Jules? Uh, uh, oh, Oliver Dollar and Jimmy Jules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How's House which artists, was, yeah. yeah, which was great. Um, so you're doing that, and it's sort of like, oh wow, you're doing these big budget music videos, and then you decide to leave and go to film school to stu- to study uh, to study what? Fi- fi- what we study? Um, fiction, directing right? fiction. Yeah, yeah, directing fiction. Yeah, so that's a, that's a big call, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a weird, it was a weird one. It didn't feel it felt quite natural because um, yeah, I was at Colonel Blimp, which is part of Blink. Um, who yeah, Blink like one of the I mean, they were like one of the top five production companies in London in terms of commercials um, and and also music videos. Um, and I was signed there. I, I ditched you for them. Yeah, which, um, still not over it, mate. Yeah. Actually, you know what? That was actually probably one of the best things that could have happened to me because that after that, I'm not joking, that made me like reappraise my whole approach. And I was like, uh, I'm not going to try and find directors and like, build a roster. I'm going to base the whole production company around my talents. <laughs> You're like, not a word of a lie. Yeah, like fuck directors that just like use you and move on. At least, at least you're not going to like. Move I'm not going to ditch another. myself. <laughs> well, I might. Uh, yeah, be like Steve, I'm, 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 I'm going to a production company. Um, what, what was the question? Oh yeah, so oh yeah, so I was, I was at I was at Blink and 
I mean, I was that was sweet. I was on a retainer. I don't know if, you did you get, know that? So yeah, I remember you telling me that. I was on that. a retainer. I remember, that's unheard yeah. of. Because that was part of your um, breaking it to me. But the part of your breakup speech to me was like, "Look, Steve, you know, it's not you. So but you're paying me a retainer. So yeah. if you can't match that, then fuck off." Yeah, mate. yeah. Obviously, you said it. Very if you nicely. can, if you can pay me a grand a month, then I'll stay. Yeah, I that's mean, the, that's the ultimatum. That is an amazing thing, to, a position to get to, where a production company are paying your retainer. So regardless if you direct anything or not you're yeah. getting paid a monthly salary just to be on their roster which is which is completely unheard of that used i think that used to be a thing like 20 years ago yeah. 30 years ago or something when there was money in music videos. so like D- uh, dougal wilson well yeah. he'll have a profit share or whatever yeah so but but the, the blink was so keen to sign me that I, I, they offered me this sort of retainer and obviously they're a big name as well so I, I was keen and i liked the people there so it wasn't just the money but it was like i just moved to london for for this opportunity and I thought, well, man, like a grand a month, like that's gonna, that's really gonna help me survive. Um, but you know, I, I did a bunch of music videos there. I think I did three over an eighteen month period. But it, you know, three music videos in eighteen months, and I wasn't doing anything else. I was, I was pitching for like huge commercials that, of course, I never won right. because I was a real newbie. Um, but that was kind of the, the social media stuff hadn't really picked up and taken Branded off. Content, yeah. Stuff, yeah. So, so those are great opportunities for me now, but they weren't really an option back mm. then. So, you know, realistically, I should have been doing that stuff while I was also doing music videos, but I just wasn't. I was just like making the odd music video, one one every six months, and and pitching on commercials that I was never going to win. So I was kind of frustrated. I was like, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. Even though outwardly, like looking at my career from the outside, I was doing really well. Like, um, like I, there was a bit of buzz around me as a music video director, and um, yeah, because you'd won. Juju Mon won you a music. It got nominated for Music Video of the Year awards. Yeah, and you'd had other nominations as well, right? A couple other no- nominations. Yeah, like Delta Heavy got nominated, and then and then like the ones I made a blimp, kind of blimp, like went down well and stuff. Got and, a Vimeo um, staff pick. Yeah, so like I, I was sort of I think I was well regarded in that industry, but you know I was just very frustrated. And there's a lot like I went th- I went I did a I went through a six month period of pitching and not winning anything, and that is like it's devastating. That is so, like, soul-destroying. How, how, so how did you keep up your morale? I didn't at times. Like, it was bleak. Like, I, I, So bleak, isn't it? Yeah, because I, you know, you, you, you get sent a track pretty much every week that, to pitch on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, every week you have to come up with, like, uh, an amazing idea. Because you can't just pitch something half-baked because if they go for it... Mm. If they if they, if they want to if they actually like the idea even if you think it's a bit crap then you got your name's on that like you got to make it and you got to like stand by it when it gets released so you've got to be pitching like top class ideas and so every week I come up with like a killer idea and now just and- to stop you there where when you were coming up with these ideas would you be sitting in in their office literally like on your laptop or what was your process to come up with these ideas because you know you look at like. Duke Dumont video as you said it's about this guy who wakes up one day and he's got a stereo lodged in his stomach and he's walking around LA and everywhere he's walking this track is playing from his stomach and people are dancing around him that's like an off the wall idea yeah you know that's an amazing idea so where how did you find your ideas were coming to you well did you have a specific process (coughs) excuse me um yeah so so my process quite basic it's just like listen to the track on repeat like hundreds of times and okay. keep brainstorming I mean with with Delta Heavy and Duke Dumont like um, 
uh, yeah, we get sent the track and then I just listen to it on repeat um, and then just brainstorm. Yeah. And uh, I'd, I'd, I'd had these like, um, this whiteboard that you could stick on your wall. It's like a um, static whiteboard. Yeah. Um, and I had um, had that all over my room in Glasgow. Like my room was just covered in scribbles on the whiteboard. It was weird. It was kind of a bit like, um, what's that uh, film um, with the... Uh, a beautiful mind. I think oh, he yeah. doesn't write everything on the wall. Yeah, I think yeah. maybe it was a bit like that. Like it wasn't really a relaxing place to be in my bedroom because it's just like ideas everywhere and writing everywhere. Um, but that, that uh, yeah, that was useful in like externalizing my ideas. I would brainstorm on the wall um, and then I go for very long walks listening to the track on repeat. Um, I must have, I mean, I must have listened to them like at least 200 times. Per track? Per track, yeah. Wow. And just listening to them on repeat and, and 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 then and then you know inspiration hits usually usually like the idea is inspired well actually it's always inspired by the track i've never recycled an idea some some people like will write have a bank of ideas and yeah. then kind of put them with the track they get in but i'm always trying to respond to like a concept in the track so for instance with um Dutumont, like the the kind of idea there was there's this humming vocal throughout the track mm-hmm. and um, I thought well humming is a kind of an internal sound and I think when I was sort of brainstorming along those lines I was thinking well what if the humming is like internal and what if literally the music was internal like music was coming from within him so that led on to the idea that he'd got a stereo inside his belly um, and are you push are you always because there is a running theme that there's a comedic angle to your your work are you always sort of looking for that comedy angle? Like, and then you'll be, you might be walking along and you listen to a track and then you sort of make yourself laugh. Like, oh, that could be funny. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that's just my sensibility. Like I, I, I like ideas that are, especially for music videos, I like concept driven ideas that are absurd, quirky, weird. Um, uh, so I think I, I wasn't like trying to go down that route. It was just the way that's, that's just the ideas I was coming up with. And the, the track had a kind of, well, the brief, they wanted something a bit quirky. And then the track is, it's not the most serious track, so it was kind of easy to go down that road. Um, but uh, yeah, um, once I came up with the concept, you know, as soon as the concept hit, I was like, okay, well, that's the idea. And you kind of know it. And then, and then it was just a case of like crafting the story. And like the initial drafts of the story, like were, there was like the ending, I, I really struggled to find the ending I knew that it had to end up in a hospital but I mean there was an ending where the 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 because the, in this in the film the um he goes to the hospital and gets because he doesn't like having he doesn't like he doesn't like having this music playing from from within with, from inside him because uh, you know people are dancing around him and having a good time but he's just trying to like do the groceries or live yeah. his daily life you know and he's just getting more more frustrated with everyone being a, you know annoying him so he ends up going to hospital and getting it surgically removed but initially I'd like I thought what if the what if the surgeons do like a Heimlich maneuver what if he falls in love with like a nurse or something I mean there was like weird endings and it's the beginning initially it started in his childhood where he like swallowed a stereo anyway so after like the idea was pitched and they liked the kind of general concept of the idea it was a case of like just refining the story and simplifying the story and that's always a nice process because you can just make it really, really refined. Um, uh, but yeah, I think my process for music videos is all, all the same, really. I generally, yeah, just listen to it over and over again. 
I, I only really, my ideas are only really firing in the morning. Like after, after lunch, I'm like, I do admin because I can't be creative. Like from lunchtime afterwards, it's like downhill from there. A lot of writers that I've spoken to are the same. They like yeah. to get their writing done in the morning. Yeah, it's just, I just purely because my, the synapses are like more, they're stronger in the morning or something. So will you get up very early? No, I'm not really a morning, per- oh, that's the, that's the, brutal irony it's like I'm, I'm better in the morning but I hate mornings yeah. <laughs> um, so I force myself to get up but like I get up at 8 and then I'm, and then at my desk at 9 and like brainstorming brainstorming and try and like try and clear my schedule for the morning like make sure I, I don't have to send any emails in the morning or whatever and then just brainstorm 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 and then by lunchtime hopefully you've got an idea Yeah. if not then you think okay shit okay well hopefully tomorrow will be a bit better and then if tomorrow's not better, then you start panicking. And then, uh, and then, and then it sometimes goes into a spiral of like, uh, feeling a bit crap about yourself because you're like, ah, oh. that's the worst when you're sent a track and you're like, oh, I really want to, I really like this track. Yeah. I could really, you know, it's the, I could, I could make a great music video for this, but sometimes the idea just doesn't come. It's like the equivalent of writer's block. Yeah. In a way. And, and yeah, for sure. And it's, that's, that's unbelievably heartbreaking. So frustrating. And you know that, like, and that's that. Those were my lowest times when I was spending like six months just pitching. I think those were the toughest times when I, I just knew that I should have an idea for. This. I should become. I should have a brilliant idea for this, but it just doesn't come. Or you have an idea and then you doubt it, and then after the fact you realise, oh, I should pitch that. But mostly, yeah, just if it doesn't come, then that that's heartbreaking. And then you have to tell everyone like. Oh, uh, so, sorry, guys. I couldn't come up with anything, and then everyone kind of thinks, "Oh, he's just bullshitting. He just couldn't. He couldn't be asked. He couldn't be asked, or yeah. whatever." But you, literally, but you, you are, you're, you know, you, you have to be like, "No, I really, really wanted to come up with something, but I just couldn't." And and that's hard, hard to explain to people. It's probably hard in terms of the pressure. Yeah, and going like, back to the production company, who they were sort of like, "Oh, these yeah. guys are paying me a monthly retainer, and I haven't been able to come up with an idea." <laughs> yeah, I, d- I didn't feel that pressure weirdly, okay. but the, the retainer thing because that. Yeah, it was more. It was more just, you know, because they want you to succeed as well. The, the production company and the commissioner, they, you know, they've got this track to you, and they think, oh, Ian's going to be great for this, and then you just can't come up with something. So they're just disappointed as well. Okay. Um, but then also the heartbreaking thing is pitching a wicked idea, and they're yeah, not, not going it. for it. And yeah. I've had a few. There's been a like a handful of them where you just know, like this is, this is the idea. I mean, often, often it's like not the best idea, and you're quietly like relieved that it didn't get commissioned but sometimes you're like okay this is this is the video this is the video that needs to be made yeah and then they don't go for it for whatever reason and sometimes they don't even make a music video at all and you're just like oh you idiots I mean I did I pitched one for um Lily Allen uh she did this track called Jesus okay um and it was like I think her whole album was called Jesus and it was like her big comeback I got this track and it was like really you know, Lilian's got like a cheeky sense of humour and you know we've got similar se- sensibility I think and um, she talk, sort of talks about menstruation in the, in, the, in, the, in the lyrics and I pitched this like GoPro idea because GoPro videos were like all the rage back yeah, then I mean yeah. people were a bit bored of them now but um, GoPros were being attached to everything so I had this like idea where it's like a GoPro video that was um, uh, like uh, it was like the point of view of something in Lily Allen's life um, it started out in a ha- handbag and then it was like 
the dog grabbed it and you weren't sure what this object was, but you're all seeing the whole video from the point of view of this, this object and then the dog grabbed it and then kid, her kids, kids grabbed it and it was just sort of went around with her all day and you're like, what is this? What is this in Lily Allen's life? And then in the end, she goes to the bathroom and like puts the camera up her vagina and then you realise that uh, it's like a tampon. And um, and I thought it was just, it was thematically perfect for the for the for the like track and really I thought it was a really cool idea and it would have been a bit like risque you know oh and it would have like grabbed some headlines you know video from the point of view of Lily Allen's tampon and all that um and the production company Blink really loved it but yeah they they didn't make it so what can you do you have to put that in a banker I just don't know who else is going to want to make a I thought Lily Allen do approach uh just pitch the idea to uh, a female artist um who ha- that, that haven't got the track they haven't got a track just written cold yet. call them yeah just call them look i've got this idea for the music video you go away and make the song and we're in business yeah 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 maybe i think that's a, that's a strange strange uh email to get isn't it i want to make a video about your tampon your tampon yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um you know yeah maybe who knows yeah so you then so you you did oh, yeah. you went through this whole period and then you went to film oh, school. Oh yeah. So did that feel like oh I'm going back to basics or was it kind of like oh this is a beautiful feeling I'm going back to what I love? Not that you didn't love making music videos, but having gone from that sort of period of being almost like an ideas machine and not winning stuff to now you're just sort of doing what you love, working on your craft as a long form director, writer director. Um. So so. I think it was it was nice to go to scripted stuff, going from music videos to to scripted, um, and uh, yeah. So I think I think I mean, I'm just just trying to think back to then. Um, yeah, I think because I I started out of film school like wanting to write my own stuff, and then I quickly realised that. Like, I can write music video ideas, but I'm not really made for writing short films and uh, drama uh, or comedy drama, or whatever. What made you come to that conclusion? Just the hell of writing. I like. I I, I I wrote. I wrote. Um, I wrote a film, The Proposal, uh, which is my first film at, at, at the great. MTS. Oh, thank you. But the writing process was was just hellish. Like I'd, I'd I'd had another idea before that that I was like really trying to make work and I just couldn't I couldn't make it work and so I had to give up on that last minute and I just like the the idea in the proposal basically the the, the um, concept is a, a a woman and a and a guy are in a French restaurant and a woman is like uh, has hidden like a a, um, a ring um, an engagement ring in a creme caramel and is, is going to surprise the uh, her partner with a proposal and he discovers the creme caramel uh, and the moment he's like going to commit saying oh I do or whatever uh, a thief comes in and robs the restaurant and uh, comes up to the table and holds them at gunpoint and is like give me all your valuables and he hands over the ring and it's unclear whether the thief saw the ring or whether he actually this was the kind of like a signal that he didn't want to get married and then it becomes this kind of like uh, comedy like um, comedy manners thing um, and the um, but the idea came from I think because because you had to in the film school you have to deliver a script by a certain point because you, you have to shoot your film by a certain point so you can't like 
postpone you can't you have to have an idea otherwise you have to make a film so it really felt like a gun was that you know being held to my head they do that on purpose yeah to get you into the rhythm of yeah having a deadline yeah deadline yeah and and because unless there's a script you know all the other people on the course are making this film as well so you have to make something you can't just say okay we're not gonna make a film um so I, I, I'd, I'd given up on my old idea and I was like, fuck, I need to come up with something. And I literally felt like I had a gun to my head at being forced to like come up with an idea. And then I thought, what if literally a person had a gun to their head to propose, uh, to, to commit to someone? So it kind of was born out of the hell I was in. Um, and that's kind of what happens in the film. Like there's, yeah, they, they, this guy is forced to make a decision in like a violent uh, situation um, so yeah that so so and then after that I was like oh my god that was so painful this whole writing process was so horrible um, and I just can't I can't do it again really like I I love being involved I loved being involved in, in the development of ideas and in coming up with ideas but in terms of actually like crafting characters in the screenplay like that is a completely different thing from doing music videos or commercials. And that's why I sort of, since then I've been working with writers and I work on my grad film, I worked with a writer and it was his idea that he came up with. He pitched me this idea for a film I make called Comeback Kid. Um, and he pitched the concept and I really liked the concept, which was basically a, 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 about a guy who, uh, a, a guy had um, finds his wife cheating on him, on him. Um, and then there's an altercation and he, this guy gets killed and is reincarnated as a young boy who ends up re kind of through chance revisiting his ex-wife uh, and their partner who are still together and this boy is is unaware that he's, he's re- a reincarnation of an angry man who's got all these resentments and then uh, but through the story kind of discovers that he is like yeah, that he is uh, wants revenge, you know, yeah. uh, and it kind of goes down a dark, uh, down a very dark route. Um, so he pitched this idea that was like, oh yeah, he just thought it'd be funny if a young boy was reincarnated uh, with all these resentments. And I thought, yeah, that's a really funny idea. And there's a, some good, good awkward scenes in there. Um, and then it just sort of developed. And I love the development process. I love like crafting the story, the shape of the story, and the structure of the story. But when it comes to like writing the dialogue and really making these characters like clear on the page like that's I, I, I can't do that and I've sort of held my hands up and been like yeah I can't do that and I'm, I really want to work with people that can do that that's that's um I think that's a really good um and positive place to be to know your your limitations yeah rather than sort of power through yeah because writing is I find it so so tough um sometimes I'm in a flow and it's great but yeah, to know what your strengths are, because so many people, I think, in, in creative worlds, I think that's one of the, hard, the hardest things to really figure out what you're best at and to ignore, or yeah. not to ignore, just say, okay, I'm going to do this as a team effort and pass this part on to somebody yeah. else. So what, so basically the way that you'll you work now is that someone else will have an idea, they'll come to you, and if you like it, go, yeah, I'll attach myself as a director, and then we'll you'll develop the, develop the idea with them and they'll do the dialogue, but you'll sort of like help craft the whole structure of the story. Yeah, that's. I guess that's the kind of idea. Um, so, would you get like a co-writer credit, or are you just happy to sort of be director on that? Um, uh, we come back, kid. I, I didn't have a writing credit, and I, I'm kind of if if it's my idea that someone else 
ends up writing. So I've got a couple of projects at the moment, which are my ideas, but writers are on board actually writing it. Like then I'll, I'll get some kind of co-writing pre- cre- credit. But if it's their idea and they've written it and I've just been involved with the development, then I think they'll get the, the credit, right. um, the full writing credit. Um, but yeah, that, that said, it, it's, I mean, the hardest thing with, it's great because I love working with writers. I think the hardest thing is just, you're, you're, you're then not in, um, you're if in you don't ownership. write, you well, you're not, it's more you're, you're not in control of your own output in the, yeah. if you're a writer-director, yeah, I mean, the, you don't have any excuses not to make stuff because right, yeah, okay. <laughs> because you, you're the one that ha- it will start the project. Yeah. Whereas when you're when you're working with a writer and if you're working off their idea, you need to somehow find these ideas and you need you're relying on someone else to come up with the idea and write the thing. Uh, so you're really not in control of your creative output. Uh, once you've got the script and once you're you've got a script, then it's up to you, the director and the producer and whatever, to like make this thing happen. But mm. up until then, you're like sort of asking for favors or trying to get time with writers and stuff which is i think the hardest thing because writers are busy good writers are really busy and um and also finding finding a writer who's got sort of a similar tone and sensibility to you yeah totally yeah for sure and that's really difficult how have you managed to do that um i mean i like i were like um i was really lucky to find sam steiner the writer of, of comeback kid and we're really on the same page like um tonally um and how did you guys meet just through film school, because I, me and the producer, we wanted to, you know, I knew I didn't want to write my grad film, so we just put a call out at the film school to all the writers and said, oh, they're, they're, you want to meet up, and um, if you've got any ideas, like, pitch me some ideas. So we put this call out, and uh, some writers came and pitched to me, and they all had really interesting ideas, but it was really, like, Sam's concept that I just, I, I, I just loved the absurdity, and I just got it, and I could tell, like, we were on the same page. And then, and then that just all happened and that was great and then since since graduating he's been like super busy with like features and theatre he's a really big theatre writer Um, so it's sort of hard to find time with him I've got two friends who I write with um, um, so but I'm always wanting to like hear new ideas and new you know meet new writers so yeah, uh, I'm just always on. I've got my eyes out at all times, like try and read as much as possible, and just like. So if anybody wants to pitch some ideas uh, to you, there you go. Call out, shout out, shout out. Get in touch with Ian Robertson. Ian Robertson, i irobertson.co.uk. There we go. Get go there. To pitch I'll me your ideas. A, I'll include a, a link in the <laughs> show notes. Um, hopefully, you won't get an angry email like you did uh, after Delta yeah. Heavy. Yeah. No, it's fine. I can deal with that. Okay, yeah, you've had, you've had the experience now. You've got the armor. Yeah. Uh, so what's what's kind of like? What would be the end goal? Have you got like the dream in terms of the career? Uh, yeah. I mean, I I, lo- I love to make a feature film. Yeah. And maybe even more than one feature film. That'd be the dream. Like I, lo- I love yeah. features. I mean, TV is really exciting as well at the moment. But mm. I, you know, I was brought up on features, and I just love the self-contained nature of you know telling a story within an hour and a half two yep. hours there's nothing more satisfying than that um, and I'd love to be able to do that uh, so but it's a long it's a long haul like you have to make features you have to it's a long journey so I, I'm, I'm, I'm very aware that that won't happen like anytime desperately soon but I'm 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 trying to get some ideas in uh in kind of together i 
I've got this idea that it's kind of too early to pitch, but it's kind of set in the world of magicians because I used to do magic as a teenager. I was one of those kids uh, that was just shit at sports, so did, <laughs> did magic to impress the girls. Did it work? Oh, they loved it. Yeah. Yeah. So you met, uh, so you met your current girlfriend? Say again? That's how you met your current girlfriend? Uh, no, no. That was through the magic of film. Uh, so magic, magic turned, an interest in magic turned into an interest in film. Um, an interest in stop motion and stuff but yeah I, I think it's a, it's a weird world I mean I don't I don't I'm not really in the world of magic anymore but we used to we used to do weddings uh, we used to do we did a redundancy party magic wow. at a redundancy party I mean I didn't so know was that an uplifting event? <laughs> it was really weird because this whole this big company had been like made redundant and they had a big blowout <laughs> this is a this is a film this is a feature film idea <laughs> and or they, short at least yeah, they they and they understandably they're like okay we we get we get made redundant let's just have a big party just to like have, you know one final hurrah and say goodbye to everyone wow. and and they had this big dinner and me and my friend Matt um would were going around the tables doing stand up magic and everyone was like super pissed and having a good time and it was great and then and then sometimes well then I think we went to the organisers after the dinner was finished because usually it's like they just want table magic but we went to the organized after and I was like oh do you still want us to do magic after the dinner whilst people because people were dancing and milling around and stuff and the organizer was like yeah sure just keep keep roaming the room and do some tricks and you know I, I went up to a group um group of like three people and I was like oh hi guys do you want to see a magic trick <laughs> and then I re- and then one of the woman looked up one of the women in the group looked up and she was just like oh, tears in her eyes and they clearly been having this like really like heart to heart <laughs> And I and and of course because yeah British and too polite they're like yeah yeah oh, yeah be that'd be nice <laughs> I was like oh fuck I, oh god this is really I don't want to do the trick now let me leave but of course they'd said yes and so I like quickly did this magic trick and they were like kind of the, the woman was still crying and like and I was like okay there you go see you later brilliant so I, I see this was, is like you can't write that I mean you yeah. can, you can write something from it now but I mean that is just magic isn't it it's yeah. material. It, it is there was it's a lot a story there's a lot of material like that like it's just and we did an old people's home we did magic in an old people's home and they were like um <laughs> they introduced us like oh we've got some young boys here and usually we see them you know out robbing people but it's nice to have like some kids doing magic for us here it's like mate I've never robbed anyone in my life you you you, you. Uh, uh I'm a good I'm a good boy um and we did, and and it was like, yeah, we did, we did all sorts like that. Uh, a lot of street magic. We'd go because we lived in this like little village, and we'd um, we were so bored, but we'd go and like, the way to entertain ourselves was going and doing street magic because we were re- really into David Blaine. You know, we just basically just ripped off all his tricks, and we'd go out on the the rural streets of uh, Benson, Oxfordshire, and like uh, go up to like these seventy <laughs> year olds and be like, "Do you want to see a trick?" Mostly they're like, "What?" <laughs> Who are you what? And like, okay. And then you'd you'd you do the trick and they'd be like, Oh cool, great, see you later. Thanks boys. And and it was very far from like the, the David Blaine videos that we were trying to emulate, which were like these yeah, inner city New York Slick. types. Yeah. Yeah, like you know, the huge reactions, everyone being like, Whoa man, that was a crazy trick, whoa and just like all this big stuff and we'd just be like we just get the reactions being like, Cool, thanks, okay. Or mostly just people not wanting to stop and chat with you so that was that was kind of weird and surreal um, so, and now no more magic tricks no on, on set just to keep morale up 
no, no. Um, I, 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 I literally don't even remember the routines anymore. Um, I, and it's really cringeworthy. I mean, that's part of like where this film idea is come, going. It's like, I find ma- like magicians really cringe. Like it's really like, I don't know. It's, it's like, I, I don't, the whole thing is just uh, really weird. And I don't, I don't really get it anymore. Like I don't, I don't know. It's because you're naturally like saying, "Oh, I'm." The, the whole situation is weird because everyone knows it's a trick. But you're still playing along. You have to play along, yeah. Like, like Santa Claus. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But the only type of magic I do like is if it's comedy magic. Like, uh, like, and there are some amazing like comic magicians, and yeah, because then you're really essentially just seeing a stand-up routine with some cool tricks in there. Yeah. Um, so um, there's a guy called uh, Lennart Green uh, who I don't, I don't know if he performs anymore like this was 10 years ago when we watched, went into this stuff he was really funny and he's got he's got a TED talk thing online so it's really good it's worth watching um, and the, actually the magic he was doing was fantastic but also he's very funny and there's a guy called Bill Malone who's a really funny guy and doing really cool tricks um, and then who else is there uh Jerry Sadowitz. Jerry Sadowitz is brilliant. Yeah, he yeah. Do, he does magic as well. I I can't really remember he's, his routine. He's, he's an Edinburgh fringe legend. He's he does magic legend. as well, right? Yeah, he yeah. does. He does. Uh, yeah, I I think I saw him like ages ago. Yeah, he's very funny. funny. He's very funny. So, outside of uh, directing, yeah, do you have many hobbies? What do you do to relax? Um, I'm not very good at relaxing. Are you not? Are, no. you, are you? Is your? Do you find that your career or? Your focus on your career is all-encompassing. Um, yeah, or on the job, like, um, yeah, it's, I get really into a job, and then I just can't do anything else, or think about anything else, or enjoy anything else. Yeah. So if I'm directing, like, I, I, I find it so all-consuming that um, uh, I just can't. Like, at times I've been, I'd booked in like to go to the cinema or theatre or something before yeah. I won a job, and then. <laughs> Of course, that comes round. I'm in prep for a job, and I remember we went to the theatre to an amazing play uh, the other day about the um, oh, what's it called? Uh, fuck, I can't remember. Um, it, it was about the Lehman Brothers. Um, oh, that I've heard about that. Yeah, I can't really remember what it's called, but it was it was really really good, amazing okay. three hour epic. Um, it's the Lehman trilogy, maybe or something like that, and. Yeah. Um, it was amazing, but I, had, I was like in prep with a job, and I just you just in your head. Uh, yeah, like I just my mind kept wandering, and I, I yeah. and I, uh, it was so good that I I, I, did, I did at times I was definitely really completely into it, but and I knew it was good. I knew I was seeing something good, but at times my, my my mind was wandering, and I've really I love to be able to find a way that you that my, to, to switch off my work mind. But I just, so what I mean, do you do exercise or do yeah. you do? I always ask guests this, but do you meditate? So I I um. I, I do run. I run every, every other day. If I'm like working from home and I haven't got loads of stuff to do, if I'm writing or whatever, I definitely like like do five five miles every other day. I do. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't love running, but I just know that I have to. It's the only exercise I get. You so, do that in the mornings. Yeah, I do that in the morning. So get up super early. Well, say super early. Almost somewhere eight o'clock. It's <laughs> really not early. Um, get up at eight and then run and then do about half an hour run and then. Um, yeah then just get on with the rest of the day and then um, I do I do feel good after I don't like it 
during it. I mean, I listen to yeah. podcasts. I like listening to podcasts. That's like my actually my main way of relaxing is listening to podcasts and cleaning the hob. <laughs> cleaning the cleaning the hob. Yeah, cleaning the hob. I like. I do find it really satisfying to clean the hob. You know, what? like the, what do you mean cleaning the hob? <laughs> the hob. You know, the on the, hob. You know, what, the, in the gas kitchen? hob. Yeah. Oh right. Oh yeah. no. You're figure, figuratively speaking. No, literally. Literally speaking. The hob. I like cleaning the hob. <laughs> I like like. I, so I is that is that just daily occurrence? <laughs> no, no, it's like maybe like once or twice a week. Okay. No, I I can relate <laughs> to you in terms of cleaning. Yeah. I have a tendency to let things pile up. So um, up till early this morning, this place was uh, really yes. It's so tidy now. I did it this morning. Oh, yeah, I just because my motivation was like you're coming around. Yeah, so it's yeah. like oh, let's make it look like I'm an organised and orderly person. Um, but when I do clean up. It, it gives such a sort of satisfying feeling yeah. like you're just cleaning you know clearing out the cobwebs and it's a mental thing as well like if you sit I don't know what your desk is like yeah. but sometimes I get loads of paperwork or whatever on my desk oh, yeah. and I can't that concentrate. affects you yeah you can't concentrate if the if the desk is messy yeah. um, and I, I think I think I like about cleaning and I'm not I don't think I don't think I'm like OCD maybe there's a bit of that in me and I don't like cleaning up other people's mess it's not like I want people to like leave our mess but I do the I find that I love the instant results of cleaning because with film and any creative pursuit, there's so much, it's just so ethereal and like up in the air all the time, and you don't even see the results, especially if you're making film for like months on end. So I love these little tasks that where you can see instant results. Like you've got a messy yeah. kitchen, you clean it down, and then it's like wow, I've done something. I've done something with my life. Yeah, well, <laughs> I've they cleaned say, my kitchen. There's like lots of these. Um... You know, podcast like if you had a uh, oh, what's his name, Jocko. Oh, I can't remember his full name. It's sort of the Marine US guy who sort of just tells you go and do it. Um, one of his pieces of advice is uh, Jocko Wilco. I think it's Jocko Wilco. Yeah. Um, first thing you do in the morning is make your bed because then you've yeah. completed your first task. Well, they go, I do that and I, I absolutely do that subconsciously. And because man, I can't. I don't understand how people don't make their bed in the morning. That's no. mad. How can you? How, how unless you're like leaving your bedroom I guess because I work from home and work from my bedroom I have to have a neat bed but um, yeah I, th- I I believe in that do you, then, yeah. do you find it hard um, working from home in terms of the isolation of being on your own all day or are you um, okay with that at, at times well my girlfriend generally works from home as well so she's an editor and so she has a little edit suite in the, in the flat um, so usually we're at home together and then we'll have like tea breaks and is that, is, that, is that a nice thing or is that yeah, sort of like... Great. No, I is like it? Because oh, wow. if, I was, if I was at home just by myself yeah. and I have been, I, I have done that uh, and if, especially if I'm writing and pitching and I'm all in my head then I can really go insane and I can, I can go into like quite dark places. Cause, really? Yeah. Cause in, I, in what sense? I guess because like, um, you know, part, part of my writing process is, is saying things out loud yeah. and pitching things to people especially uh-huh. with music videos like you can you can uh, I brainstorm and then I have to like say it to someone um, and if there's no one around to say it and I've got a deadline looming I get really like frustrated and um, and uh, in and terms of what you want their feedback partly well partly their feedback but just partly the process of vocalising an idea because as soon as you say an idea out loud it's amazing I find it every time like as soon as you say it out loud um, you know what the problems are with it. Have you thought about ever just recording it into your phone and playing it back? I have, and I do. If I'm really desperate, I will just talk <laughs> talk to myself. Yeah. Um, 
but it's not really this doesn't really have the same effect because there's yeah there's this thing with like actually saying something to someone and knowing that your idea is going to get judged even if they're not a judgmental person you're you're putting your idea out there to get judged yeah um and you're exposing your idea and it may be the best fucking idea in your head but as soon as you say it to someone you know whether it's good or not Um, right and so when i've been isolated and alone when i've had no one around um to say ideas out and i've been pitching then that's 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 those are tough times yeah Um, how do you manage that then uh god um I, I'm not very good at managing it. To, to be fair, like I sometimes call people up. If uh, I've got a couple of friends who are freelancers, and maybe pitch them the idea. Okay. Um, um, or I'll just say, okay, I'll wait until someone gets home. <laughs> and then as soon as they walk in the door after a long day's work, I'm like, do you want to hear something for a music video? Yeah. And they're like, oh, I'm actually really tired. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so yeah, I don't know if I'm the best housemate uh, necessarily, but um, yeah, you know. They're, I'm not I'm not very good at coping with that but like, there are strategies like um, yeah. calling people up or whatever and how, how are you in terms of like just enjoying life outside of work I, do, do you know like do you have specific things like you're saying you, go, you went to theatre do you have certain things you're like alright this is what I enjoy this is where I get sources of inspiration from yeah uh, yeah I watch a lot of films I love going to the cinema um, I, I mean I love just yeah the even if I know it's something I can watch on Netflix, because the way Netflix and Amazon are doing things these days is they're doing like a, a pre, like a cinema release for like a few weeks, like three weeks, and then mm. they're putting it on, on online. And I quite like that model, actually. I think it's great. I think we've needed that forever. I hate this. You know, we had, you remember when we had to wait like six months for a film to come out on DVD or whatever? It's like, it's ridiculous. So I, I but yeah, it was, I think I, there was Love Story and another film recently that, that I just definitely went I wanted to go to the cinema because I love just going into a dark room Irishman Irishman as well yeah those are two that's it yeah those two Marriage Story yeah Marriage Story and Irishman are the two that as I know I can watch these online in a couple of weeks but you gotta be there gotta be there and it's the the experience of seeing in the cinema is great and the the travelling to the cinema and seeing it with a friend or a girlfriend it's just absolutely love like that is my main like outing really Um, other things I do is I there's a life drawing class near me, so I sometimes go and do that, like on okay. every Thursday. I do. Yeah, and That's I really cool. like that because again, it's like this, it's this instant gratification of like writing, um, drawing something and seeing some results, which is really satisfying and um, is good for the soul. I think. Uh, so I love, I love doing that. Um, uh, what else? I, I, I love DIY, uh, and. I sometimes go to my dad's and do like I've got woodworking projects. I haven't done one for some for a while, but he he's really into woodworking and um, DIY and stuff, and he's always got a project on. So I sometimes help him with that kind of thing, which I find really gratifying. Again, it's like you instantly see the results. And um, uh, built a bed the other day. Nice oak Ikea? solid oak bed. No, like I, <laughs> how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> No, uh, and I built it from scratch. It was great. So fantastic! I, I, I could definitely not do that. I, I love all that handy stuff because, um, and I do find that relaxing. Again, it's those jobs. Also, you can like listen to a podcast uh, whilst you're doing them. They're the best jobs when yeah. you can like listen to listen to stuff like that. I mean, with with get by, you're going back to get by, like, which was just days. You know, six weeks of being on my own animating. 
I, I just listened to so many podcasts. So it was amazing. Like I got through so many and it was so, because the, the activity was kind of mindless because I was really just, yeah, copying frames from the computer onto the animating board um, that I could just zone out and listen to podcasts and yeah. it was great. So yeah, back then it was all about this American life and film spotting. But since then podcasts have moved on a bit and I don't really listen to them anymore. But yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I do actually. Weirdly, I do I, that because my girlfriend's been in in um, Manchester editing a, a project there for three months. So I've been kind of more alone at home. I've got through a lot of podcasts, and you know, your one, savior. Adam Buxton. I love Adam Buxton's podcast. Um, I love In the Dark. It's amazing. Have you ever heard that? No. Oh, mate. I mean, that's what's that about? Oh man, that is that is ridiculous. That, that's like a like I love all these kind of rambly podcasts. I think uh, I think they're great. They're very relaxing. But in the dark is like it's like investigative journalism. It's okay. like a whole different form. It's weird putting like I think podcasts are such a broad church of things. It's really weird are. like having calling you know you know Adam Buxton's podcast and um, and and uh, uh, in the dark the same thing of podcasts because they're so different. I mean this is like. There's two series, two seasons, um, both amazing. Second series is absolutely like crazy, amazing. Um, worth listening to both, but this one has an ongoing story, and it's like about this. That the second series is about a, a guy who's um, put in uh, prison, life uh, put on death row, I believe, or life sentence. I can't remember um, for murdering some people, and he's clearly. Well, he's tried six times. He was tried six times for the same crime, but uh, the DA like screwed up a lot of the trials and okay. had, and um, so he, he kept getting like um, the trials kept getting rejected because it sounds like a bit like the Netflix series. You know, the one everyone was going on about was it last year or the year before? Uh, Stephen Avery. Oh yeah, yeah. So what, what's that called? Um, oh yeah, that, that was huge. It, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm. I watched recently one about uh, OneCoin, a digital cryptocurrency. Oh yeah, the, I watched. I I listened to one. Crypto, crypt, BBC uh, crypto podcast. Queen, yeah, yeah, that was really interesting. That was really interesting. I thought it was, I thought it was a bit too long. Like it could have, yeah, done. They repeat. There were certain elements that they repeated. A bit repetitive, but, but I lo- yeah, I love the idea and I love the the world. Um, um, but this because I, I I'm so I've got mixed feelings about true crime. I, I'm sort of into it, but like, there's so many series about criminals and and you watch them and listen to them and you f- try and figure out whether they're innocent or guilty and 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 th- that for me is kind of the, your, your your basic true crime format and there's something a little bit di- I, I feel a bit dirty after listening to too many of them because it's yeah. like you're kind of giving a criminal a voice in a way and and there's something a bit perverse about like um trying to suss someone out and it's not it's not based on any fact it's just like based on your assumptions of them and I, sure. I, I, I don't I, I don't I think there's some really good ones out there but they're not then that I feel a bit dirty after listening to them whereas whereas um, In the Dark is pure investigative journalism so it's about a true crime thing but it's not really about whether someone did it or not it's like the assumption is he clearly didn't do it and it's like about picking apart the case and it's 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 really amazing it's really amazing it's great I'll have to check that one out yeah. um it's interesting because when I when we spoke and I said to you, oh, it'd be great to have you on the podcast, you said, oh, no, I, uh, why me? Because I've got no balance in my life. Oh, yeah, yeah. But listening to you um, this past hour or so, I feel like you have 
maybe inadvertently got a good sense of balance. Like you've got a relationship, you live, you live with your girlfriend, and it seems like you've got a good setup there in terms of you both work from you know working from home together, and that seems to work well. And then in between, I think everyone the same, particularly creatives, when they're immersed in their work, it's all encompassing. But it sounds like in between those moments, you've got you know exactly what you like mm. um, in terms of what inspires you and your passions, etc. Sounds like you've got lots going on. Um, I'm going to ask you a question that I ask uh, all guests. I mean, based on that, or maybe not even based on that, what does the idea of balance mean to you? Uh, balance. That, that, this, is, this is a tricky one. I don't I need to think about this one. What does balance mean to me? We can have like large moments of silence and I'll just edit it together afterwards or we'll just sort of put a little soundtrack underneath. <laughs> oh God, balance. Um, I mean, it doesn't have to mean anything to you. Well, I, I get, okay, yeah, I, no, it does. I guess the, the idea of balance, I love the idea of balance, like this kind of harmonious life where you have enough time to socialise, enough time to work and the work you do is really fulfilling and um, and you also have some time with, you know, family and friends and everything and culture and everything. So I, I kind of know that there's an ideal out there, but, and I guess I'm, guess I'm trying to strive for that. Uh, so, but because of the nature of like filmmaking, often it's out of balance. That's why I said when you, you know, when you said, do you, do you want to come on the podcast? And I was like, I don't have any balance in my life because I kind of know what that looks like, I think, but then it, it it's impossible to maintain that because like mm. I had an edit deadline just y- yesterday, and I was I was up till six in the morning editing, and then um, I had to get up for eight in the morning to go to the mix, and like that is that's not a balanced life, <laughs> like working like that. I mean, it rarely happens like that, but that's not that's not balanced. So I like I like the idea of balance. And I have an ideal, I think, of what balance could look like, but I don't think it. Um, I don't think it exists. Maybe it'll never exist as a filmmaker. But that's, I guess, part of the joy of making films. Because you are doing lots of different things. You know, sometimes you're writing, sometimes you're in production, sometimes you're filming, flying off somewhere, uh, shooting something. And I guess that's the that's the excitement around filmmaking. But it, but there's certainly for me not a lot of balance there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've chosen a lifestyle where it is quite precarious and. You know, it, just, it changes all the time. But yeah, just from listening to you, it sounds like in between those moments, mm. you've figured out kind of what makes you tick. Yeah. And I think having having people around you that can pull you through those like times where, because at times it gets really difficult and you feel like you haven't got enough, you, you've got too much going on and you're overwhelmed. And like my girlfriend's really good at like, taking me aside and be like okay Liam, it's gonna be fine and you, we will figure this out or whatever and she she calms me down and like having having people around you that can like help you like stop and and take stock and find that balance again is really important because if I didn't have her or my friends like or my family like yeah I'd be an absolute wreck because <laughs> yeah. like I, you can't find you can't find balance yourself or at least I can't find balance myself because um yeah, uh, I wish I could. I'm working on that, but you need people around you that can help you with that, I think. Great. Well, I think that sounds like a good point to to wrap things up. Where can uh, people find out more about you? 
and, uh, and send you pictures. Yeah, send me send send me abuse, send me pictures, send me scripts. Yeah. Um, I'm at, my website is irobertson.co.uk where all my work is, and my email's up there. I'm on Twitter, barely use it. I do self promotional stuff. Um, my handle is Ian R zero B. So it looks like Ian Rob, but it's a zero for the O. Um, uh, I was thinking about getting on t- to Instagram, but I don't really need any more social media in my life. But apparently, it's good for getting jobs. If you, if filmmakers apparently need to be on Instagram if they want work, so I may I may end up there. But who knows? Okay, I'll see you on there. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot. Been um, been fun. Has it been? Because uh, you, I know we were talking about it before. You know, sort of slight trepidation. Be- better than anticipated, or well, if, I, I kind of no. It's, has it been an hour? More than. Is it? Yeah. Oh my God. Flown by. I feel like I spoke very fast and rambled a lot. Um, and your editor's going to have fun like finding the best bits or some usable bits. And I, I don't know. I've, I've enjoyed it. The time flew. It has. It has. No, it's been great. It's, yeah. been, it's been a very uh, insightful conversation. Because as I said, you're sort of the first person on the podcast who is primarily a director. Yeah. So I think a lot of people are going to find that really interesting in terms of your process. Yeah. For sure. Um, I hope so alright well thank you very much for coming on thank you thanks for having me it's been a pleasure I will see you on Instagram (laughs) yeah perfect so there we have it folks Ian Robertson that was a really interesting conversation Um, it's great to get it from the horse's mouth or the director's mouth as it were uh, just in terms of you know getting such a detailed breakdown of of his approach to directing and all the processes involved in the various forms of content that he's making um i love ian's work and i'm going to continue to keep an eye out on, on everything that he's making um he always surprises me with um with his latest piece of work so ah oh, it's a new direction i wasn't expecting that but um yeah really enjoyed that really enjoyed that i hope you guys did too and as always if you did then please do subscribe if you haven't done already to balancing acts and uh rate and review us on itunes if you didn't like it then uh please don't send me an angry email like the one uh, ian received for delta heavy just do nothing really Uh, just keep it to yourself and if you yourself are an aspiring creator and are looking for some inspiration or just want to watch some fun time comedy then look no further than the comedy crowd um, who support independent comedy creators they showcase the best new videos on comedycrowdtv.com they work with creators um, creating all sorts animations sketch shows web series viral hits the whole shebang so um, do check them out Okay, that's it from me. Until next time, see you later. Or hear me later. It doesn't really make sense. Should have just left it at that. Um, All right, ciao for now.